0: good morning everybody and welcome to the day beautiful podcast feed my name is adam i am the founder of day beautiful the website and podcast where you can discover debut authors if you like what you hear here check out day beautiful on daybeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. And welcome to yet another First Taste reading series where I invite an author to read five minutes from their work to kickstart your week off with great literature and put you in a really good mood. Today's guest is a journalist and author currently serving as senior digital editor for PBS NewsHour. Previously, he was the founding director of the Black Media Initiative at the Center for Community Media at the Newmark Graduate School of Journalism. He is a John S. Knight Journalism Fellow at Stanford University, was the first chief storyteller for the city of Detroit, and a former editor of Black Detroit Magazine. His work has appeared in This American Life, The Atlantic, Columbia Journalism Review, and more. His debut novel, Boys Come First, is out now. Please welcome Aaron Foley. Hey Aaron, how are you doing today?
1: Uh, I'm doing well. Um... And caffeinated and <laughs> caffeinated,
0: yes. That is yeah. the way to go. I feel um most people I, I do a lot of my podcasts early, and I, I remember one author is like, Oh, I don't drink caffeine. And I was like, What? Like, but we're not here to talk about my caffeine habits, we're here to talk about your uh debut novel, Boys Come First, which came out last May. Uh tell readers a little bit about it.
1: Sure. Um, it's about um I wanted to tell the story of of what um, sort of black millennials in Detroit, which is where I'm from, mm-hmm. uh, kind of experiencing, but do it from a queer point of view. So it follows the story of uh, three black gay men all in their early 30s. And while they're dealing with some of the changes going on in the city of Detroit with uh, gentrification and new things, new shiny things, and what that means for the future of the city um, and their own you know, personal fortunes, They've also got like millennial problems, right? Like um, dating and and um, guys that won't text back and <laughs> um, and uh, relationships and jobs and insecurities about um, everything or everything around them. And uh, you know, there these are three best friends. Um, they have challenges to their own individual things, but also the friendship itself. And so, what happens? what happens with Mm -hmm. that is what the book's about
0: yeah and in in addition to writing this novel previously you had written um let me make sure I get the title right because I love it uh how to live in Detroit without being a jackass and then the Detroit neighborhood
1: guide so you are from Detroit all about Detroit yeah um I've I've lived there in my entire life up until i moved to I moved to Brooklyn two years ago Mm -hmm. but Uh, i'm actually like getting on a plane in two days to go to go back home (laughs) Uh, but i i you know even living here in new york i I can't stay away but yeah i love it i love it yeah Uh, i've been to detroit
0: once um just like passing through visiting friends who were at the university of michigan i went to a tigers baseball game and um yeah, and, and and you talked about like the gentrification, and and one of my favorite books, The Turner House, takes place in Detroit. So I, I have a a lot of a lot of like distant love for Detroit. I feel I, I love to see, like I know what the city has been going through, and I, I you know I'm hoping that the community rallies around it. Um, anyway, I could talk about cities I love all day. Um, what part of
1: this book will you be reading for us? Um, actually, why do I'll just go from uh from. From uh, chapter one. Cool.
0: All right. Take it away. Okay.
1: I hope I don't get pulled over right here in bitch ass Pennsylvania. <laughs> Dominic gives some thoughts on himself for what must have been the 40th time, speeding westward through the Keystone State in a rented Kia Soul that could barely maintain the 85 ish miles per hour he'd been doing since he first merged onto I 80 coming out of Manhattan. Although getting pulled over in one of those dreary towns filled with Trump voters and whistle-stop diners and letting the officer, inevitably white nail, humiliate, beat, or haul Dominic off to jail, or maybe some combination of all of the above, would fit right in with the total shitstorm of events he'd endured over the last week and a half. Just 11 days ago, Dominic had been enjoying monogamy and gainful employment in New York City. Now, in the darkest hours of this Pennsylvania not, night, neither existed. He'd had goals before every, everything had fallen apart marriage by 35, a kid one year after that, a vacation home by 40, and his own advertising firm by 45. But here he was now, 33 years old, and with eight years with his ex, Justin, having lived absolutely nowhere, time was running out. Then, so when you're Black, gay, and 30-something, time always feels like it's running out. The 30-something years are critical for gay men like Dominate because they have to have everything figured out by then if they don't want to become a walking stereotype later, While Dominic was busy getting older, everyone else around him just kept getting younger. Whenever he took a lingering look in the mirror, it seemed his hairline had receded another millimeter. Meanwhile, a new crop of boys, all with healthy hair and more elaborate than ever skincare routines, kept rolling off the assembly line faster than ever. Is everyone at the Club 22 now, he thought. They Google how to douche. We had to learn the hard way. Those younger men were forbidden fruit and they would chase guys like Dominic once he got to a certain age. That age when, if he reached it while he was still single, he would turn into the full-blown stereotype. Leary, predatory, old. The last thing Dominic wanted was to be someone's daddy. A 60-something single man with a wrinkled, turtling dick and a hardball butthole who thinks he's 40 years younger and creeps on everybody and anybody. That's the thing. If Black gay men don't have their shit together in their 30s, the job, the apartment with more than one bedroom, and the boyfriend who's about to become a fiancé and then a husband, then they're still going to be figuring it all out in their 40s and 50s when the crow's feet start showing. Dominic certainly did not want to be in the dating pool at 40 when everyone else was 22. He didn't want to be struggling with his career at the same time either. So as he had worked hard to hold on to Justin, he had also made sure to keep climbing in the advertising world. Before it all fell apart, the two of them were planning to settle down with each other in their peak incomes and leave all the broken and broke 40 stuffings behind. Plans gone awry consumed Dominic's thought as he sped through the rest of Pennsylvania and Ohio. He barely had enough gas to make it to his mother's front door in Detroit, freight, but despite his infrequent visits as of late, he still remembered one thing about his hometown, do not stop for gas in the middle of the night. The low fuel light gleamed in the dashboard as he pulled into his mother's driveway. And he muttered a little prayer, thanks that he made it there without any issues. So after almost ten hours in the car, intermittently really talking to God, his best friend Troy, Siri, and an annoying woman from the collection agency, Dominic knew he would now have to talk to his mother, Tanya Gibson, who was standing in the doorway at 3:38 a.m. wondering why her son had decided to drive all the way from to Detroit from his apartment in Hell's Kitchen on a Thursday. A half hour later, after a quick evasive chat and an excuse that he had had a headache and just needed to sleep. Dominic lay on a full-size bed in his teenage room, his back already aching from the lumpy art band mattress his mother hadn't replaced in 15 years. He was a gay man, a black gay man, with a setback and without explanation.
0: Uh thank you so much for reading that. I am from bitch ass Pennsylvania and uh I grew up <laughs> in northern northeastern Pennsylvania where yeah, you definitely see those Trump signs and those uh people who yeah, are racist i'll just say it like it's it's wild um to have grown up in that space and, and and moved away and like become who i am and then go see family who like say subtle racism things um your book is filled with humor or that passage is filled with a lot of humor considering it's talking about very serious things you seem like a funny person do you intentionally inject humor into your writing is it part of your writing or does it just come naturally
1: I, I mean i try to i mean there's only so many times you can you know talk about s- serious issues like racism and, mm-hmm. and, and classism and and all, all, all these types of things um and not you know and and not try to you know lighten it i don't want to i don't want to make the subject lighthearted mm-hmm. but but just kind of talking about it a little bit more lightly kind of takes the edge off i guess but um but she also i think you kind of remember it too like mm-hmm. um you know instead of always uh you know lecturing about some of these types of things um i i try to take a more humorous approach to kind of you know um I, I, I try to educate people about these things mm-hmm. and outside of Writing fiction,
0: you already mentioned the nonfiction works or books you've written, How to Live in Detroit Without Being Jackass, uh, The Detroit Neighborhood Guide. You also freelance for places like This American Life, The Atlantic and other places um, outside of fiction. What are you interested in exploring? What do you what topics have you been writing about? Have you been thinking a lot about?
1: Um. Just sort of. How um, I I center Detroit in a lot of my work, but I see Detroit as being like kind of um, an unsung uh, example of what blackness in America looks like. So um, when I when I did the piece for This American Life, it was part of a package on COVID. And Mm -hmm. um, uh, at at that point, uh, you know, COVID was hitting black communities like harder than um, than you know, a lot of other places and Detroit being a majority black city. Um that's you know that that kind of like, look, looking at like um how COVID was was affecting um Detroit greatly um was co- sort of symbolic of what was going on in, in black communities across the United States. Um same thing with you know when it comes to queerness um you know a lot of a lot of house music a lot of culture um kind of starts in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um uh, not you know not all of it but um just kind of you know, some of the conversations that we see now around like how how to move in the world as a as as a black person and as a queer person at the same time. Um, there's a whole lot of those people doing that uh in 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 Detroit so um I, I just tried my best to kind of, let people know what's going on in my city, um, what my what my friends, my family are are doing, and how um it is kind of reflective of 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 experiences outside outside the city itself.
0: Thank you so much to Aaron for joining the Day Beautiful First Taste Reading Series. You can find him on the internet at Aaron dot com and at Twitter at Aaron K Foley. You can find Day Beautiful at DayBeautiful dot net. And on all social media at Day Beautiful. As always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful. And you're all beautiful.